Chapter Ten, Part One of The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection, by Charles Darwin. This recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten, on the imperfection of the geological record, on the absence of intermediate varieties at the present day, on the nature of extinct intermediate varieties, on the number on the lapse of time as inferred from the rate of denudation and of deposition number on the lapse of time as estimated by years on the poorness of our paleontological collections on the intermittence of geological formations on the denudation of granitic areas on the absence of intermediate varieties in any one formation on the sudden appearance of groups of species on their sudden appearance in the lowest known fossiliferous strata, Antiquity of the Habitable Earth. In the sixth chapter, I enumerated the chief objections which might be justly urged against the views maintained in this volume. Most of them have now been discussed. One, namely the distinctness of specific forms, and their not being blended together by innumerable transitional links, is a very obvious difficulty. I assigned reasons why such links do not commonly occur at the present day under the circumstances apparently most favorable for their presence, namely, on an extensive and continuous area with graduated physical conditions. I endeavored to show that the life of each species depends, in a more important manner, on the presence of other, already defined, organic forms than on climate, and therefore that the really governing conditions of life do not graduate away quite insensibly, like heat or moisture. I endeavoured also to show that intermediate varieties, from existing in lesser numbers than the forms which they connect, will generally be beaten out and exterminated during the course of further modification and improvement. The main cause, however, of innumerable intermediate links not now occurring everywhere throughout nature, depends on the very process of natural selection, through which new varieties continually take the places of and supplant their parents' forms. But just in proportion, as this process of extermination has acted on an enormous scale, so must the number of intermediate varieties which have formerly existed be truly enormous. Why, then, is not every geological formation and every stratum full of such intermediate links? Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain, and this, perhaps, is the most obvious and serious objection which can be urged against my theory. The explanation lies, as I believe, in the extreme imperfection of the geological record. In the first place, it should always be borne in mind what sort of intermediate forms must, on the theory, have formerly existed. I have found it difficult when looking at my two species to avoid picturing to myself forms directly intermediate between them, but this is a wholly false view. We should always look for forms intermediate between each species and a common but unknown progenitor, and the progenitor will generally have differed in some respects from all its modified descendants. To give a simple illustration. The fantail and pouter pigeons are both descended from the rock pigeon. If we possessed all the intermediate varieties which have ever existed, we should have an extremely close series between both and the rock pigeon, but we should have no varieties directly intermediate between the fantail and pouter, none, for instance, combining a tail somewhat expanded with a crop somewhat enlarged the characteristic features of those two breeds. These two breeds, moreover, have become so much modified that, if we had no historical or indirect evidence regarding their origin, it would not have been possible to have determined, from a mere comparison of their structure with that of the rock pigeon, C. livia, whether they had descended from this species or from some other allied species, such as C. enus. So, with natural species, if we look to forms very distinct, for instance, to the horse and taper, we have no reason to suppose that links directly intermediate between them ever existed, but between each and an unknown common parent. 
the common parent will have had in its whole organization much general resemblance to the taper and to the horse but in some points of structure may have differed considerably from both even perhaps more than they differ from each other hence in all such cases we should be unable to recognize the parent form of any two or more species even if we closely compared the structure of the parent with that of its modified descendants unless at the same time we had a nearly perfect chain of the intermediate links it is just possible by the theory that one of two living forms might have descended from the other for instance a horse from a taper and in this case direct intermediate links will have existed between them but such a case would imply that one form had remained for a very long period unaltered whilst its descendants had undergone a vast amount of change and the principle of competition between organism and organism between child and parent will render this a very rare event for in all cases the new and improved forms of life tend to supplant the old and unimproved forms by the theory of natural selection all living species have been connected with the parent species of each genus by differences not greater than we see between the natural and domestic varieties of the same species at the present day and these parent species now generally extinct have in their turn been similarly connected with more ancient forms and so on backwards always converging to the common ancestor of each great class so that the number of intermediate and transitional links between all living and extinct species must have been inconceivably great but assuredly if this theory be true such have lived upon the earth on the lapse of time as inferred from the rate of deposition and extent of denudation independently of our not finding fossil remains of such infinitely numerous connecting links it may be objected that time cannot have sufficed for so great an amount of organic change all changes having been effected slowly it is hardly possible for me to recall to the reader who is not a practical geologist the facts leading the mind feebly to comprehend the lapse of time he who can read sir charles lyell's grand work on the principles of geology which the future historian will recognize as having produced a revolution in natural science and yet does not admit how vast have been the past periods of time may at once close this volume not that it suffices to study the principles of geology or to read special treatises by different observers on separate formations and to mark how each author attempts to give an inadequate idea of the duration of each formation or even of each stratum we can best gain some idea of past time by knowing the agencies at work and learning how deeply the surface of a land has been denuded and how much sediment has been deposited as lyell has well remarked the extent and thickness of our sedimentary formations are the result and the measure of the denudation which the earth's crust has elsewhere undergone therefore a man should examine for himself the great piles of superimposed strata and watch the rivulets bringing down mud and the waves wearing away the sea cliffs in order to comprehend something about the duration of past time the monuments of which we see all around us it is good to wander along the coast when formed of moderately hard rocks and mark the process of degradation the tides in most cases reach the cliffs only for a short time twice a day and the waves eat into them only when they are charged with sand or pebbles for there is good evidence that pure water effects nothing in wearing away rock at last the base of the cliff is undermined huge fragments fall down and these remaining fixed have to be worn away atom by atom until after being reduced in size they can be rolled about by the waves and then they are more quickly ground into pebbles sand or mud but how often do we see along the bases of retreating cliffs rounded boulders all thickly clothed by marine productions showing how little they are abraded and how seldom they are rolled about moreover if we follow for a few miles any line of rocky cliff which is undergoing degradation we find that it is only here and there 
along a short length around a promontory that the cliffs are at the present time suffering the appearance of the surface and the vegetation show that elsewhere years have elapsed since the waters washed their base we have however recently learned from the observations of ramsay in the van of many excellent observers of dukes geike kroll and others that subaerial degradation is a much more important agency than coast action or the power of the waves the whole surface of the land is exposed to the chemical action of the air and of the rainwater with its dissolved carbonic acid and in colder countries to frost the disintegrated matter is carried down even gentle slopes during heavy rain and to a greater extent than might be supposed especially in arid districts by the wind it is then transported by the streams and rivers which when rapid deep in their channels and triturate the fragments on a rainy day even in a gently undulating country we see the effects of subaerial degradation in the muddy rills which flow down every slope messrs ramsay and whittaker have shown that the observation is a most striking one that the great lines of escarpment in the wealden district and those ranging across england which formerly were looked at as ancient sea-coasts cannot have been thus formed for each line is composed of one and the same formation while our sea-cliffs are everywhere formed by the interaction of various formations this being the case we are compelled to admit that the escarpments owe their origin in chief part to the rocks of which they are composed having resisted subaerial denudation better than the surrounding surface this surface consequently has been gradually lowered with the lines of harder rock left projecting nothing impresses the mind with the vast duration of time according to our ideas of time more forcibly than the conviction thus gained that subaerial agencies which apparently have so little power and which seem to work so slowly have produced great results when thus impressed with the slow rate at which the land is worn away through subaerial and littoral action it is good in order to appreciate the past durations of time to consider on the one hand the masses of rock which have been removed over many extensive areas and on the other hand the thickness of our sedimentary formations i remember having been much struck when viewing volcanic islands which have been worn by the waves and paired all around into perpendicular cliffs of one or two thousand feet in height for the gentle slope of the lava streams due to their formerly liquid state showed at a glance how far the hard rocky beds had once extended into the open ocean the same story is told still more plainly by faults those great cracks along which the strata have been upheaved on one side or thrown down on the other to a height or depth of thousands of feet for since the crust cracked and it makes no difference whether the upheaval was sudden or as most geologists now believe was slow and effected by many starts the surface of the land has been so completely planed down that no trace of these vast dislocations is externally visible the craven fault for instance extends for upward of thirty miles and along this line the vertical displacement of the strata varies from six hundred to three thousand feet professor ramsay has published an account of a downthrow in anglesey of twenty three hundred feet and he informs me that he fully believes that there is one in marionthshire of twelve thousand feet yet in these cases there is nothing on the surface of the land to show such prodigious movements the pile of rocks on either side of the crack having been smoothly swept away on the other hand in all parts of the world the piles of sedimentary strata are of wonderful thickness in the cordillera i estimated one mass of conglomerates at ten thousand feet and although conglomerates have probably been accumulated at a quicker rate than finer sediments yet from being formed of worn and rounded pebbles each of which bears the stamp of time they are good to show how slowly the mass must have been heaped together professor ramsay has given me the maximum thickness from actual measurement in most cases of the successive formations in different parts of great britain and 
This is the result. Paleozoic strata, not including igneous beds, 57,154 feet. Secondary strata, 13,190 feet. Tertiary strata, 2,240 feet, making altogether 72,584 feet. That is, very nearly 13 and 3 quarters British miles. Some of these formations, which are represented in England by thin beds, are thousands of feet in thickness on the continent. Moreover, some of these formations, which are represented in England by thin beds, are thousands of feet in thickness on the continent. Moreover, between each successive formation we have, in the opinion of most geologists, blank periods of enormous length, so that the lofty pile of sedimentary rocks in Britain gives but an inadequate idea of the time which has elapsed during their accumulation. The consideration of these various facts impresses the mind almost in the same manner as does the vain endeavour to grapple with the idea of eternity. Nevertheless, this impression is partly false. Mr. Crawl, in an interesting paper, remarks that we do not err, quote, in forming too great a conception of the length of geological periods, end quote, but in estimating them by years. When geologists look at large and complicated phenomena, and then at the figures representing several million years, the two produce a totally different effect on the mind, and the figures are at once pronounced too small. In regard to subaerial denudation, Mr. Kroll shows, by calculating the known amount of sediment annually brought down by certain rivers, relatively to their areas of drainage, that one thousand feet of solid rock, as it became gradually disintegrated, would thus be removed from the mean level of the whole area in the course of six million years. This seems an astonishing result, and some considerations lead to the suspicion that it may be too large. But if halved, or quartered, it is still very surprising. Few of us, however, know what a million really means. Mr. Kroll gives the following illustration. Take a narrow strip of paper, 83 feet 4 inches in length, and stretch it along the wall of a large hall, and then mark off at one end the tenth of an inch. This tenth of an inch will represent 100 years, and the entire strip a million years. But let it be borne in mind, in relation to the subject of this work, what a hundred years implies represented as it is by a measure utterly insignificant in a hall of the above dimension several eminent breeders during a single lifetime have so largely modified some of the higher animals which propagate their kind much more slowly than most of the lower animals that they have formed what well deserves to be called a new sub-breed few men have attended with due care to any one strain for more than half a century so that a hundred years represents the work of two breeders in succession. It is not to be supposed that species in a state of nature ever change so quickly as domestic animals under the guidance of methodical selection. The comparison would be in every way fairer with the effects which follow from unconscious selection, that is, the preservation of the most useful or beautiful animals, with no intention of modifying the breed. But by this process of unconscious selection, various breeds have been sensibly changed in the course of two or three centuries. Species, however, probably change much more slowly, and within the same country, only a few change at the same time. This slowness follows from all the inhabitants of the same country being already so well adapted to each other, that new places in the polity of nature do not occur until after long intervals due to the occurrence of physical changes of some kind or through the immigration of new forms moreover variations or individual differences of the right nature by which some of the inhabitants might be better fitted to their new places under the altered circumstance would not always occur at once unfortunately we have no means of determining according to the standard of years how long a period it takes to modify a species. But to the subject of time, we must return. On the Poorness of Paleontological Collections 
now let us turn to our richest museums and what a paltry display we behold that our collections are imperfect is admitted by every one the remark of that admirable paleontologist edward forbes should never be forgotten namely that very many fossil species are known and named from single and often broken specimens or from a few specimens collected on some one spot only a small portion of the surface of the earth has been geologically explored and no part with sufficient care as the important discoveries made every year in europe prove no organism wholly soft can be preserved shells and stones decay and disappear when left on the bottom of the sea where sediment is not accumulating we probably take a quite erroneous view when we assume that sediment is being deposited over nearly the whole bed of the sea at a rate sufficiently quick to embed and preserve fossil remains throughout an enormously large proportion of the ocean the bright blue tint of the water bespeaks its purity the many cases on record of a formation conformably covered after an immense interval of time by another and later formation without the underlying bed having suffered in the interval any wear or tear seem explicable only on the view of the bottom of the sea not rarely lying for ages in an unaltered condition the remains which do become embedded if in sand or gravel will when the beds are upraised generally be dissolved by the percolation of rain-water charged with carbonic acid some of the many kinds of animals which live on the beach between high and low water mark seem to be rarely preserved for instance the several species of the thomolony a sub-family of sessile cirripedes coat the rocks all over the world in infinite numbers they are all strictly littoral with the exception of a single mediterranean species which inhabits deep water and this has been found fossil in sicily whereas not one other species has hitherto been found in any tertiary formation yet it is known that the genus cathamalus existed during the chalk period lastly many great deposits requiring a vast length of time for their accumulation are entirely destitute of organic remains without our being able to assign any reason one of the most striking instances is that of the fleisch formation which consists of shale and sandstone several thousand occasionally even six thousand feet in thickness and extending for at least three hundred miles from vienna to switzerland and although this great mass has been most carefully searched no fossils except a few vegetable remains have been found with respect to the terrestrial productions which lived during the secondary and paleozoic periods it is superfluous to state that our evidence is fragmentary in an extreme degree for instance until recently not a land shell was known belonging to either of these vast periods with the exception of one species discovered by sir c lyell and dr dawson in the carboniferous strata of north america but now land shells have been found in the lias in regard to mammiferous remains a glance at the historical table published in lyell's manual will bring home the truth how accidental and rare is their preservation far better than pages of detail nor is their rarity surprising when we remember how large a proportion of the bones of tertiary mammals have been discovered either in caves or in lacustrine deposits and that not a cave or true lacustrine bed is known belonging to the age of our secondary or paleozoic formations but the imperfection in the geological record largely results from another and more important case than any of the foregoing namely from the several formations being separated from each other by wide intervals of time this doctrine has been emphatically admitted by many geologists and paleontologists who like e forbes entirely disbelieve in the change of species when we see the formations tabulated in written works or when we follow them in nature it is difficult to avoid believing that they are closely consecutive but we know for instance from sir r murchison's great work on russia what wide gaps there are in that country between the superimposed formations so it is in north america 
and in many other parts of the world. The most skillful geologist, if his attention had been confined exclusively to these large territories, would never have suspected that during the periods which were blank and barren in his own country, great piles of sediment, charged with new and peculiar forms of life, had elsewhere been accumulated, and if, in every separate territory, hardly any idea can be formed of the length of time which has elapsed between the consecutive formations, we may infer that this could nowhere be ascertained. The frequent and great changes in the mineralogical composition of consecutive formations, generally implying great changes in the geography of the surrounding lands, whence the sediment was derived, accord with the belief of vast intervals of time having elapsed between each formation. We can, I think, see why the geological formations of each region are almost invariably intermittent, that is, have not followed each other in close sequence. Scarcely any facts struck me more when examining many hundred miles of the South American coasts, which have been upraised several hundred feet within the recent period, than the absence of any recent deposits sufficiently extensive to last even for a short geological period. Along the whole west coast, which is inhabited by a peculiar marine fauna, tertiary beds are so poorly developed that no record of several successive and peculiar marine faunas will probably be preserved to a distant age. A little reflection will explain why, along the rising coast of the western side of South America, no extensive formations, with recent or tertiary remains, can anywhere be found, though the supply of sediment must for ages have been great, from the enormous degradation of the coast rocks, and from the muddy streams entering the sea. The explanation, no doubt, is that the littoral and sub-littoral deposits are continually worn away as soon as they are brought up by the slow and gradual rising of the land within the grinding action of the coast waves. We may, I think, conclude that sediment must be accumulated in extremely thick, solid, or extensive masses in order to withstand the incessant action of the waves when first upraised and during subsequent oscillations of level, as well as the subsequent subaerial degradation. Such thick and extensive accumulations of sediment may be formed in two ways, either in profound depths of the sea, in which case the bottom will not be inhabited by so many and such varied forms of life as the more shallow seas, and the mass, when upraised, will give an imperfect record of the organisms which existed in the neighborhood during the period of its accumulation. Or, sediment may be deposited to any thickness and extent over a shallow bottom if it continues slowly to subside in this latter case as long as the rate of subsidence and supply of sediment nearly balance each other the sea will remain shallow and favourable for many and varied forms and thus a rich fossiliferous formation thick enough when upraised to resist a large amount of denudation may be formed I am convinced that nearly all our ancient formations, which are throughout the greater part of their thickness rich in fossils, have thus been formed during subsidence. Since publishing my views on this subject in 1845, I have watched the progress of geology, and have been surprised to note how author after author, in treating of this or that great formation, has come to the conclusion that it was accumulated during subsidence. I may add that the only ancient tertiary formation on the west coast of South America, which has been bulky enough to resist such degradation as it has yet suffered, but which will hardly last to a distant geological age, was deposited during a downward oscillation of level, and thus gained considerable thickness. All geological facts tell us plainly that each area has undergone numerous slow oscillations of level, and apparently these oscillations have affected wide spaces. Consequently, formations rich in fossils and sufficiently thick and extensive to resist subsequent degradation will have been formed over wide spaces during periods of subsidence, but only where the supply of sediment was sufficient to keep the sea shallow and to embed and preserve the remains before they had time to decay. 
On the other hand, as long as the bed of the sea remained stationary, thick deposits cannot have been accumulated in the shallow parts which are the most favourable to life. Still less can this have happened during the alternate periods of elevation, or, to speak more accurately, the beds which were then accumulated will generally have been destroyed by being upraised and brought within the limits of the coast action. These remarks apply chiefly to littoral and sublittoral deposits. In the case of an extensive and shallow sea, such as that within a large part of the Malay archipelago, where the depth varies from thirty or forty to sixty fathoms, a widely extended formation might be formed during a period of elevation, and yet not suffer excessively from denudation during its slow upheaval. But the thickness of the formation could not be great, for, owing to the elevatory movement, it would be less than the depth in which it was formed, nor would the deposit be much consolidated, or be capped by overlying formations, so that it would run a good chance of being worn away by atmospheric degradation, and by the action of the sea during subsequent oscillations of level. It has, however, been suggested by Mr. Hopkins that if one part of the area, after rising and before being denuded, subsided, the deposit formed during the rising movement, though not thick, might afterwards become protected by fresh accumulations, and thus be preserved for a long period. Mr. Hopkins also expresses his belief that sedimentary beds of considerable horizontal extent have rarely been completely destroyed but all geologists, excepting the few who believe that our present metamorphic schists and plutonic rocks once formed the primordial nucleus of the globe, will admit that these latter rocks have been stripped of their covering to an enormous extent, for it is scarcely possible that such rocks could have been solidified and crystallized while uncovered. But, if the metamorphic action occurred at profound depths of the ocean, the former protecting mantle of rock may not have been very thick. Admitting, then, that gneiss, mica, schist, granite, diorite, etc., were once necessarily covered up, how can we account for the naked and extensive areas of such rocks in many parts of the world, except on the belief that they have subsequently been completely denuded of all overlying strata. That such extensive areas do exist cannot be doubted. The granitic region of Perime is described by Humboldt as being at least nineteen times as large as Switzerland. South of the Amazon, Bew colors an area composed of rocks of this nature as equal to that of Spain, France, Italy, part of Germany, and the British Isles, all conjoined. This region has not been carefully explored, but from the concurrent testimony of travellers, the granitic area is very large. Thus, von Eschweg gives a detailed section of these rocks stretching from Rio de Janeiro for 260 geographical miles inland in a straight line and I travelled for 150 miles in another direction, and saw nothing but granitic rocks. Numerous specimens, collected along the whole coast, from near Rio de Janeiro to the mouth of the Plata, a distance of 1,100 geographical miles, were examined by me, and they all belonged to this class. Inland, along the whole northern bank of the Plata, I saw besides modern tertiary beds, only one small patch of slightly metamorphosed rock, which alone could have formed a part of the original capping of the granitic series. Turning to a well-known region, namely to the United States and Canada, as shown in Professor H. D. Rogers' beautiful map, I have estimated the areas by cutting out and weighing the paper, and I find that the metamorphic, excluding the, quote, semi-metamorphic, end quote, and granite rocks exceed in the proportion of 19 to 12.5 the whole of the newer Paleozoic formations. 
in many regions the metamorphic and granite rocks would be found much more widely extended than they appear to be if all the sedimentary beds were removed which rest unconformably on them and which could not have formed part of the original mantle under which they were crystallized hence it is probable that in some parts of the world whole formations have been completely denuded with not a wreck left behind one remark is here worth a passing notice during periods of elevation the area of the land and of the adjoining shoal parts of the sea will be increased and new stations will often be formed all circumstances favorable as previously explained for the formation of new varieties and species but during such periods there will generally be a blank in the geological record on the other hand during subsidence the inhabited area and number of inhabitants will decrease excepting on the shores of a continent when first broken up into an archipelago and consequently during subsidence though there will be much extinction few new varieties or species will be formed and it is during these very periods of subsidence that the deposits which are richest in fossils have been accumulated on the absence of numerous intermediate varieties in any single formation from these several considerations it becomes much more difficult to understand why we do not therein find closely graduated varieties between the allied species which lived at its commencement and at its close several cases are on record of the same species presenting varieties in the upper and lower parts of the same formation thus trouchold gives a number of instances with ammonites and Hilgendorf has described a most curious case of ten graduated forms of Planorbis multiformis in the successive beds of the freshwater formation in Switzerland. Although each formation has indisputably required a vast numbers of years for its deposition, several reasons can be given why each should not commonly include a graduated series of links between the species which lived at its commencement and close but i cannot assign due proportional weight to the following considerations although each formation may mark a very long lapse of years each probably is short compared with the period requisite to change one species into another i am aware that two paleontologists whose opinions are worthy of much defence namely brown and woodward have concluded that the average duration of each formation is twice or thrice as long as the average duration of specific forms but insuperable difficulties as it seems to me prevent us from coming to any just conclusion on this head when we see a species first appearing in the middle of any formation it would be rash in the extreme to infer that it had not elsewhere previously existed so again when we find a species disappearing before the last layers have been deposited it would be equally rash to suppose that it then became extinct we forget how small the area of europe is compared with the rest of the world nor have the several stages of the same formation throughout europe been correlated with perfect accuracy we may safely infer that with marine animals of all kinds there has been a large amount of migration due to climatal and other changes and when we see a species first appearing in any formation the probability is that it only then first immigrated into that area it is well known for instance that several species appear somewhat earlier in the paleozoic beds of north america than in those of europe time having apparently been required for their migration from the american to the european seas in examining the latest deposits in various quarters of the world it has everywhere been noted that some few still existing species are common in the deposit but have become extinct in the immediately surrounding sea or conversely that some are now abundant in the neighboring sea but are rare or absent in this particular deposit 
it is an excellent lesson to reflect on the ascertained amount of migration of the inhabitants of europe during the glacial epoch which forms only a part of one whole geological period and likewise to reflect on the changes of level on the extreme change of climate and on the great lapse of time all included within this same glacial period yet it may not be doubted whether in any quarter of the world sedimentary deposits including fossil remains have gone on accumulating within the same area during the whole of this period it is not for instance probable that sediment was deposited during the whole of the glacial period near the mouth of the mississippi within that limit of depth at which marine animals can best flourish where we know that great geographical changes occurred in other parts of america during this space of time when such beds as were deposited in shallow water near the mouth of the mississippi during some part of the glacial period shall have been appraised organic remains will probably first appear and disappear at different levels owing to the migrations of species and to geographical changes and in the distant future a geologist examining these beds would be tempted to conclude that the average duration of life of the embedded fossils had been less than that of the glacial period instead of having been really far greater that is extending from before the glacial epoch to the present day in order to get a perfect gradation between two forms in the upper and lower parts of the same formation the deposit must have gone on continuously accumulating during a long period sufficient for the slow process of modification hence the deposit must be a very thick one and the species undergoing change must have lived in the same district throughout the whole time but we have seen that a thick formation fossiliferous throughout its entire thickness can accumulate only during a period of subsidence and to keep the depth approximately the same which is necessary that the same marine species may live on the same space the supply of sediment must nearly counterbalance the amount of subsidence but this same movement of subsidence will tend to submerge the area whence the sediment is derived and thus diminish the supply whilst the downward movement continues in fact this nearly exact balancing between the supply of sediments and the amount of subsidence is probably a rare contingency for it has been observed by more than one paleontologist that very thick deposits are usually barren of organic remains except near their upper or lower limits it would seem that each separate formation like the whole pile of formations in any country has generally been intermittent in its accumulation when we see as is so often the case a formation composed of beds of widely different mineralogical composition we may reasonably suspect that the process of deposition has been more or less interrupted nor will the closest imperfection of a formation give us any idea of the length of time which its deposition may have consumed many instances could be given of beds only a few feet in thickness representing formations which are elsewhere thousands of feet in thickness and which must have required an enormous period for their accumulation yet no one ignorant of this fact would have even suspected the vast lapse of time represented by the thinner formation many cases could be given of the lower beds of a formation having been upraised denuded submerged and then recovered by the upper beds of the same formation facts showing what wide yet easily overlooked intervals have occurred in its accumulation in other cases we have the plainest evidence in great fossilized trees still standing upright as they grew of many long intervals of time and changes of level during the process of deposition which would not have been suspected had not the trees been preserved thus sir c lyell and dr dawson found carboniferous beds one thousand four hundred feet thick in nova scotia with ancient roots bearing strata one above the other at no less than sixty-eight different levels hence when the same species occurs at the bottom middle 
and top of a formation the probability is that it has not lived on the same spot during the whole period of deposition but has disappeared and reappeared perhaps many times during the same geological period consequently if it were to undergo a considerable amount of modification during the deposition of any one geological formation a section would not include all the fine intermediate gradations which must on our theory have existed but abrupt though perhaps slight changes of form it is all important to remember that naturalists have no golden rule by which to distinguish species and varieties they grant some little variability to each species but when they meet with a somewhat greater amount of difference between any two forms they rank both as species unless they are enabled to connect them together by the closest intermediate gradations and this from the reasons just assigned we can seldom hope to effect in any one geological section supposing b and c to be two species and a third a to be found in an older and underlying bed even if a were strictly intermediate between b and c it would be simply ranked as a third and distinct species unless at the same time it could be closely connected by intermediate varieties with either one or both forms nor should it be forgotten as before explained that a might be the actual progenitor of b and c and yet would not necessarily be strictly intermediate between them in all respects so that we might obtain the parent species and its several modified descendants from the lower and upper beds of the same formation and unless we obtained numerous transitional gradations we should not recognize their blood relationship and should consequently rank them as distinct species it is notorious on what excessively slight differences many paleontologists have founded in their species and they do this the more readily if the specimens come from very different sub-stages of the same formation some experienced conchologists are now sinking many of the very fine species of deorbigny and others into the rank of varieties and on this view we do find the kind of evidence of change which on the theory we ought to find look again at the later tertiary deposits which include many shells believed by the majority of naturalists to be identical with existing species but some excellent naturalists as agassi and pictet maintain that all these tertiary species are specifically distinct though the distinction is admitted to be very slight so that here unless we believe that these eminent naturalists have been misled by their imaginations and that these late tertiary species really present no difference whatever from their living representatives or unless we admit in opposition to the judgment of most naturalists that these tertiary species are all truly distinct from the recent we have evidence of the frequent occurrence of slight modifications of the kind required if we look to rather wider intervals of time namely to distinct and consecutive stages of the same great formation we find that the embedded fossils though universally ranked as specifically different yet are far more closely related to each other than are the species found in more widely separated formations so that here again we have undoubted evidence of change in the direction required by the theory but to this latter subject i shall return in the following chapter with animals and plants that propagate rapidly and do not wander much there is reason to suspect as we have formerly seen that their varieties are generally at first local and that such local varieties do not spread widely and supplant their parent form until they have been modified and perfected in some considerable degree according to this view the chance of discovering in a formation in any one country all the early stages of transition between any two forms is small 
for the successive changes are supposed to have been local or confined to some one spot most marine animals have a wide range and we have seen that with plants it is those which have the widest range that oftenest present varieties so that with shells and other marine animals it is probable that those which had the widest range far exceeding the limits of the known geological formations in europe have oftenest given rise first to local varieties and ultimately to new species and this again would greatly lessen the chance of our being able to trace the stages of transition in any one geological formation it is a more important consideration leading to the same result as lately insisted on by dr falconer namely that the period during which each species underwent modification though long as measured by years was probably short in comparison with that during which it remained without undergoing any change it should not be forgotten that at the present day with perfect specimens for examination two forms can seldom be connected by intermediate varieties and thus proved to be the same species until many specimens are collected from many places and with fossil species this can rarely be done we shall perhaps best perceive the improbability of our being enabled to connect species by numerous fine intermediate fossil links by asking ourselves whether for instance geologists at some future period will be able to prove that our different breeds of cattle sheep horses and dogs are descended from a single stock or from several aboriginal stocks or again whether certain sea-shells inhabiting the shores of north america which are ranked by some conchologists as distinct species from their european representatives and by other conchologists as only varieties are really varieties or are as it is called specifically distinct this could be effected by the future geologist only by his discovering in a fossil state numerous intermediate gradations and such success is improbable in the highest degree it has been asserted over and over again by writers who believe in the immutability of species that geology yields no linking forms this assertion as we shall see in the next chapter is certainly erroneous as sir j lubbock has remarked quote, every species is a link between other allied forms End quote. if we take a genus having a score of species recent and extinct and destroy four-fifths of them no one doubts that the remainder will stand much more distinct from each other if the extreme forms in the genus happen to have been thus destroyed the genus itself will stand more distinct from other allied genera what geological research has not revealed is the former existence of infinitely numerous gradations as fine as existing varieties connecting together nearly all existing and extinct species but this ought not to be expected yet this has been repeatedly advanced as a most serious objection against my views it may be worth while to sum up the foregoing remarks on the causes of the imperfection of the geological record under an imaginary illustration the malay archipelago is about the size of europe from the north cape to the mediterranean and from britain to russia and therefore equals all the geological formations which have been examined with any accuracy excepting those of the united states of america i fully agree with mr godwin austin that the present condition of the malay archipelago with its numerous large islands separated by wide and shallow seas probably represents the former state of europe while most of our formations were accumulating the malay archipelago is one of the richest regions in organic beings yet if all the species were to be collected which have ever lived there how imperfectly would they represent the natural history of the world 
but we have every reason to believe that the terrestrial productions of the archipelago would be preserved in an extremely imperfect manner in the formations which we supposed to be there accumulating not many of the strictly littoral animals or of those which lived on naked submarine rocks would be embedded and those embedded in gravel or sand would not endure to a distant epoch wherever sediment did not accumulate on the bed of the sea or where it did not accumulate at a sufficient rate to protect organic bodies from decay no remains could be preserved formations rich in fossils of many kinds and of thickness sufficient to last to an age as distant in futurity as the secondary formations lie in the past would generally be formed in the archipelago only during periods of subsidence these periods of subsidence would be separated from each other by immense intervals of time during which the area would be either stationary or rising whilst rising the fossiliferous formations on the steeper shores would be destroyed almost as soon as accumulated by the incessant coast action as we now see on the shores of south america even throughout the extensive and shallow seas within the archipelago sedimentary beds could hardly be accumulated of great thickness during the periods of elevation or become capped and protected by subsequent deposits so as to have a good chance of enduring to a very distant future during the periods of subsidence there would probably be much extinction of life during the periods of elevation there would be much variation but the geological record would then be less perfect it may be doubted whether the duration of any one great period of subsidence over the whole or part of the archipelago together with the contemporaneous accumulation of sediment would exceed the average duration of the same specific forms and these contingencies are indispensable for the preservation of all the transitional gradations between any two or more species if such gradations were not all fully preserved transitional varieties would merely appear as so many new though closely allied species it is also probable that each great period of subsidence would be interrupted by oscillations of level and that slight climactical changes would intervene during such lengthy periods and in these cases the inhabitants of the archipelago would migrate and no closely consecutive record of their modifications could be preserved in any one formation very many of the marine inhabitants of the archipelago now range thousands of miles beyond its confines and analogy plainly leads us to the belief that it would be chiefly these far-ranging species though only some of them which would oftenest produce new varieties and the varieties would at first be local or confined to one place but if possessed of any decided advantage or when further modified and improved they would slowly spread and supplant their parent forms when such varieties returned to their ancient homes as they would differ from their former state in a nearly uniform though perhaps extremely slight degree and as they would be found embedded in slightly different sub-stages of the same formation they would according to the principles followed by many paleontologists be ranked as new and distinct species if then there be some degree of truth in these remarks we have no right to expect to find in our geological formations an infinite number of those fine transitional forms which on our theory have connected all the past and present species of the same group into one long and branching chain of life we ought only to look for a few links and such assuredly we do find some more distantly some more closely related to each other and these links let them be ever so close if found in different stages of the same formation would by many paleontologists be ranked as distinct species but i do not pretend that i should ever have suspected how poor was the record in the best preserved geological sections had not the absence of innumerable transitional links 
between the species which lived at the commencement and close of each formation pressed so hardly on my theory End of chapter ten part one